this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. We're here today with Genevieve Lang. How are you? I'm great, Scott. Thanks for inviting me. It is awesome to be inside of one of your Carborgami shelters. Thanks. <laughs> this is rad. We're recording. We're recording outside, but we're actually inside the shelter. This is cool. Yeah, and it's exactly the kind of setting that we want to try and use these for, you yeah. know, in a parking lot that's a little obviously off of the street, but safe and flat and not bothered by other people not so, bothered by the wind not bothered by a wind you notice how quiet it is sitting oh in goodness, here yes it's weird i love it it's very peaceful it's like all of a sudden you're like in your own space exactly <laughs> that's the whole point yeah that's really cool thank you for suggesting that we actually sit inside can you tell us about like how this came about this is a very interesting intricate structure that i'm looking at as we're sitting inside yeah so the design was uh conceived by our founder tina hosepian when she was doing her architecture degree at uh, usc and that was around 2009 i believe almost 10 years ago and she came up with the initial prototype of this. It was a little bit shorter than what you and I are sitting in right now. And also she had made a version that was, uh, you know, kind of twice as tall and you could stand up in it. But that was not the commercial version that ended up getting produced. So her motivation, you know, from the very beginning was that being an Angelino, and having also grown up here, both of us are locals, um, you know, having grown up in Los Angeles, she wanted to apply her, you know, design training as an architect to try and address the issue of uh, lack of shelter for those who were on the street. And, um, you know, from what I understand, the initial concept was a class, you know, assignment that um, encouraged the students to take a look at uh, what you could do with Airstream trailers and see how you can modify that kind of design. And then, you know, as you can imagine, the iterations of thinking mm -hmm. of how do you get something that can compress, but that's still, you know, pretty portable and the different considerations that I think, you know, must have gone into her initial um, conception of this has ended up over time evolving into what you and I are sitting in now. And I just, I love the way it's all like folded. Like, is that where the origami? Yes. Yeah. Name on the name comes from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it definitely feels like that. And it's symmetrical as you can tell, Yeah. you know, so the, the ridges, um, you know, that make up the roof are undulating and you can see the repeated patterns and these kind of long diamonds and triangles and, yeah, um, you know, that's what all makes it get compact when you need to put it away. It, you know, flattens down to a little bit less than a foot wide when okay. it's pancaked down. And easy to carry. I was surprised. It's yeah, it's it not bad. One arm. Right. Yeah. If you have it tucked under your, you know, kind of your armpit, it really doesn't take too much to carry and okay. it's it's about 17 pounds but it doesn't feel like it, it didn't feel like it yeah because it's dispersed you know yeah. i mean it, the the shape of it when you look at it when it's um folded up you know it's kind of like a bigger hexagon with some little feet that's how i describe it it kind of it's hexagonal like, yeah, yeah. yeah. so or it kind of looks like a cricket you know when you were a kid if you ever folded oh, origami yeah. crickets it's kind of got that yeah Sort of shape, shape. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the repetition of the shape or the shapes themselves. It's very relaxing. Yeah, feels like almost like when I've walked through labyrinths. If that makes sense, that that repetition of that pattern, just like looking through it, it's very soothing to the eye. And I think that's something that you know, folks that are unhoused or sleeping outside. I know in my experience, that's been one of the things about sleeping outside is that 
that lack of peace sometimes right. when you are outside. Uh, and this I can now see because I told you before we started recording, I was kind of a little bit nervous, you know, claustrophobia and feeling, you know, sort of enclosed. But this is actually really pleasant and I like it. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for actually, you know, contributing that firsthand testimony. <laughs> yeah. Oh, while we're sitting in Feel here. Feel free to use it. <laughs> I will. Um, and yeah, one of the things, you know, when I've gone out to demo this with government officials or, you know, other service providers, you know, to get them yeah. aware and also potentially interested in using this has been the emphasis that I put out there about, you know, the calming effect. And also people always ask, why is it different than a tent? Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the main differences is the fact that you are not sitting in here hearing or experiencing any flapping from the right. wind that's happening. Yeah. You know, and today's relatively windy. It's super windy. Yeah. And, you know, we're sitting in here and due to the structural, you know, kind of rigidity and all the, all the repetitive ridges, it's just kind of the winds, you know, going over, but yeah. not pushing and you don't hear it. And that's at all. That's a great thing. <laughs> I would think wow. for someone, especially who's yeah. a little bit, you know, on the edgy side or just traumatized. like traumatized. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, you don't need to be wondering. I mean, when I go, when I am out in a tent, just camping and it's windy outside, you know, sometimes you just like, Oh, what's that sound? And oh, it's yeah. the wind. Yeah. You know, so I, I can't imagine how much of that someone who is using a tent, you know, on the sidewalk or by the freeway or under an underpass must have to mitigate in their thoughts what the sounds are. Right. So there's a real big factor of, I think, the sound reduction. I won't say cancellation because you do still hear yeah. some, but it's definitely highly reduced. And oh, I yeah. think for someone who is experiencing homelessness, it's a boost to your psychology. Yeah. You know, to just feel like you're not listening to the outdoors and the outdoors is not listening to you. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I almost feel like we're inside. Which was weird, too. I didn't think that I would feel like that. Being yeah. Like the I've cardboard is relatively um, thick. Yeah. You know, it's a certain kind of uh, there's. Oh gosh, uh, I'm not a I'm not a manufacturing you know expert. But from what I know from our um, manufacturer that we work with, who happens to be local. And that's one of the things I like to emphasize, too. Oh, that's great. We're not using cardboard that's, you know, shipped over from far away or yeah. not produced here. So the cardboard that we use for the shelter is a certain thickness that just allows it to be as thick as it can be, but then also allows us to be able to fold it manually. Yeah. And that's how you construct one of these. You actually fold along the folds that have already been you know kind of prefabricated okay. into the cardboard by our manufacturer oh wow yeah so they have um you know they have the dies that make these different pieces yeah. and the pieces get stitched together i'll tell you this great aspect of how we produce it right now we have historically worked with kind of younger folks mm -hmm. you know anyone ranging from i would say 13, 14 on up to kind of early 20s. We first started with uh, production, of course, with just volunteers. And then over time, there have been individual Eagle Scout projects that have kind of volunteered to learn how to put the shelters together. And then now in this past year, in June, we started a pilot program that I'm really hoping to be able to continue if we can get more funding for it with a, an alternative high school that's located in Culver City called New Earth. And New Earth is the full name is New Earth Arts and Leadership Academy or Leadership Center, I think. They work with justice involved youth who are either, you know, coming out of juvenile detention or at risk of going you know, into the justice system. And we have trained and, you know, gotten a, a small crew of the students who are served there to 
be kind of our regular assembly team. And that's great because they learn a lot about group collaboration. You can't build one of these on your own. It would be really hard. And that's part of their larger jobs training program that they do as part of being at New Earth. So we're really proud and lucky to be a, you know, a module of their jobs program. And yeah. Um, That's rad. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And some of the kids, um, you know, that we have worked with have also experienced homelessness themselves or had close relatives who are currently out on the streets. So they definitely see the immediate benefit and, you know, have told us that it makes them feel good and empowered that they're able to, you know, do something to try and help. That's rad. So they're made locally by, wow, that's just so rad, by youth who are being taught to work together to help them also in their In their journey. In their yeah. journey. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It's like a whole, like, it's like a whole, like, social justice closed loop, like, concept. I love it. Yeah. And I really want to emphasize that aspect of it because, you know, it, they are conscious decisions to produce man, produce locally right. to be able to also be a part of the, you know, kind of rehabilitation. I don't want to use that word too often, but right. essentially it's um, part of the learning that, um, you know, these young people at this alternative high school are going through and for them to also hopefully someday soon be able to see the real physical manifestation of you know the shelters that they have put together Mm -hmm. with their own hands and their own labor in a space that is facilitating someone else's recovery and rehabilitation would be amazing and so we want to be able to offer that opportunity to them you know whenever we are able to get a pop-up site um, to come and volunteer and actually work with you know our the clients that would be using the cardboard gummies so first of all before we talk about what a pop-up site is how does how do people locate you like what is the website? So our website is www.cardboardgami.org and I'll spell that because it's a little bit of a mashup. <laughs> it's C A R D B O no A. So if you were going to start writing cardboard, you stop at the O and then it turns into origami. So the rest of it is R I G-A-M-I dot org. We'll be sure to attach that to this podcast. That way people will know. So Genevieve, what's a pop-up site? So a pop-up site is the idea that I came up with last year with my board to thoughtfully put the cardboard gummies out in the field for use. And also the main idea of it is not just for these shelters to be simply used by folks you know overnight as they would a tent but really to provide an entry point for people to be able to have connection with service providers so a pop-up site would be any private or public lot that has some level of you know security whether it's able to be gated at night or if it has, you know, a pretty well, uh, I would say, kind of off the street feel to it. A lot like the parking lot that you and I are sitting in right now, you know, it has a gate, part of it has a wall, you know, it's off the main drag. And what we would love to do is to be able to work with local community groups like faith organizations or Others that, for instance, like neighborhood councils or neighborhood homeless coalitions, uh, to be able to put these together as literally pop-up emergency shelter sites using the cardboard gummies as spaces where people can sleep. And this would be a new intervention that you can consider is perhaps a step between sleeping or being a part of an encampment 
that, you know, is illegal and could be confiscated or, you know, swept at any time. And someone who is experiencing homelessness feeling confident and comfortable enough to actually enter, um, you know, a more traditional shelter type of setting where they would get assigned a bed, um, you know, possibly have roommates, all that kind of stuff. So that's the simple idea of the pop-up site. And, you know, what I want to be able to also emphasize with that is we would be making sure that service providers that are already covering the area are connected into the site so that when folks check in for the night, you know, and get their cardboard gami to sleep in, um, they know that in the morning before they check out, they will be able to connect with somebody who's going to come and visit them from, you know, whoever is uh, the official CES provider, uh, you know, wherever the pop-up site might be. So we'll have volunteers that will serve as greeters, um, you know, set up the Kaburgamis for people so that it really feels like you're kind of just showing up and there's sort of a concierge, you know, shelter service, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, and you can put your stuff inside, you know, take your shoes off. Um, we'll hopefully have, you know, some community uh, groups that would be able to provide meals. But at the very least, it's a safe place for you to bed down for the night. And you don't have to worry that, you know, there's going to be strangers coming by or just trouble or, you know, uh, things like that, that you may have to just think about fending for yourself if you are out. And that's a really important thing because we've seen the effectiveness of how people who are sleeping in their vehicles, for instance, mm -hmm. um, feel and, you know, behave so much more in a healthy way when they're able to participate in a safe parking type of mm -hmm. program. So it's a very similar idea to yeah. give people that temporary but known space mm -hmm. that they can go to. And don't worry about, you know, where you're going to put your tent or how you're going to pack it in the morning. That's going to be taken care of for you. Or that your stuff isn't going to get taken in the middle of the night. Exactly. Which is a big common a common experience that I didn't think about uh, when I started, you know, sleeping outside. I've only lost one backpack, but I know people that have lost up to four or five backpacks where they'll just they'll fall asleep and... Someone snatches it. Someone snatches it. That's what caused me actually to start. I moved over to the Atwater area just because, well, I was kind of already hanging out at where I was sleeping and during the day in the early evening and then I thought oh there's not a lot of people around here so maybe I should come and sleep in this area and then I started realizing online like through SELA yeah. and all of that um, we've used a couple acronyms right now I guess we should define them CES is coordinated entry system coordinated entry system because I don't think that's only come up on one other podcast actually um, oh so who else is um, I think it might have been Joan Howard with uh, The Source at the um, oh. Durant Library. I think she mentioned CES. And Food on Foot. She volunteers with Food on Foot. But we were talking actually about The Source. Okay. Um, in particular is what she wanted to highlight, which kind of opened up a whole other area of research for me is seeing how like public libraries around the country are incorporating mental health services from the county wherever they're at or the city wherever they're at into their library services, realizing that that's where a lot of these folks that are low income, I mean, there's other things that happen at these libraries. Why not people being able to connect with that as well? Yeah. If that's what they need. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people that have benefited from the source. So yeah, so I think that's the other. And then um, SELA, you're involved with SELA. Um, it's the Silver Lake, Echo Park, Los Feliz, Atwater, Hollywood. Yay. And what's the other part? The United. Well, you got the acronym yeah, right. Yeah, the acronym's Yay. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The acronym's but, right. Yeah. We, so um, the other neighborhoods that are part of SELA but aren't part of the acronym because it would just become insane. I will share with you and your listeners a preview, but we're soon to be rebranding into a much more user-friendly 
and easy to roll off the tongue name. Oh, that's for good. the Neighborhood Homeless Coalition. Yeah, but I won't speak too much on that yet. Yeah, but no um, the other neighborhoods that are uh, usually involved are Cypress Park okay. and also Glassell Park. Okay, so that is really rad. Yeah, I didn't realize that you were involved with them, and then when I went to the volunteer training a few weeks ago, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is a cardboard lady. I need to go talk to her." And then I learned how to spell Genevieve thanks to Micah. Um, I couldn't figure <laughs> that out. My phone was not autocorrecting to the correct spelling of your name. That's and funny. I was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't spell the name of the shelter or her first name." It was really hard. <laughs> um, it took me a minute. So, Stila is an amazing organization. And Shelter All Koreatown, they just rebranded themselves to Koreatown for All as well. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a similar a similar type of organization. Thank you, Andrew, for reminding us about the, the numerous sirens that happen here in Hollywood. Um, all the excitement that we have. But, yeah, so that's a, a big part of from following Stila on Facebook and things and just kind of being aware of like what neighborhoods like we're more understanding of the fact that we're people right and being really intentional about that instead of putting myself in another bad situation you know where i was going to get a backpack stolen or you know something else happening to me so yeah i'm really grateful for your work with that organization as well because i got a, a lot out of that volunteer training and i really appreciated i really oh, appreciated it we appreciated you being there <laughs> Actually, because at the end, I love that you spoke up and, you know, really just voiced that it's um, important for anybody who wants to do outreach as a neighbor to a fellow neighbor to just simply realize that, you know, someone uh, does not need to be reminded that they have been, you know, sleeping uh, not under a traditional roof. And, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Those kinds of things um, we definitely emphasize and will continue emphasizing as we train new volunteers. And I'll share that since that training that you attended uh, about two weekends ago, this past Sunday, we, um, you know, got, gosh, probably uh, at least 10 new volunteers um, that showed up. Yeah. Some of those, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, just solved our... um, uh, well, Sila has been getting some great press recently. Yeah. The article that I shared with you that uh, yeah. was related to the radio program mm-hmm. um, that KPCC did generated quite a lot of buzz. And some folks, I think, heard the program and, you know, they talked about where the location was of our typical meeting spot and just showed up, but they didn't go through the training. So it was a little bit of a crash course this past Sunday yeah. and taking some newbies out. But um we're working on getting the process, uh, you know, more streamlined. And uh, definitely, if anyone's listening to this podcast who wants to volunteer um, on our bi-weekly Sunday outreaches, you got to attend a training, even if it's a mini training that we will do um, half an hour before the typical start time. Otherwise, you won't be able to come out with us just because we want to make sure you're safe and yeah. that you know what to do and not to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's very important because you're you're walking up to somebody's home, you know, even if it could get swept away tomorrow or something could happen or the rains could wash it away. You are walking up to somebody's home and being conscious of that. Right. Because it's also like you're walking up to a stranger's door. Right. How are you going to act? And there's there's things to kind of keep in mind, you know, and kind of like boundaries and respecting space and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just really it's one of the things that I appreciated about Silo was being at that volunteer training at the Indale Library and knowing that you all get that. You know, you get the safety of your volunteers, but you also get the safety of the boundaries of the folks that you're reaching out to and purposefully building relationships with. You know, it's not this like oh, well, we're just othering you and we really want you out of here and so we're just going to be nice to you until you leave. It's really like, no, these are human beings and we really want to get to know them and we're going to intentionally meet. It's every first and third, right? It's every first and third yeah. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. So and they know to they know if they're along in those spaces, they know that someone might be coming back. to, And it, like I think you all said that it's oftentimes similar people have the same route. So they mm-hmm. begin to get familiar faces and things like that. Too, exactly. Which I think is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we have teams that go into, you know, different 
uh, neighborhoods and ideally it's a neighborhood that is close to you but we yeah. definitely also allow folks to go and see how other settings are you know in neighborhoods that they may not live in but are close by and I think that's part of the just education for anyone who wants to see how varied um, the faces of homelessness are and also just the geographies of homelessness are so different from even one neighborhood you know to another adjacent neighborhood because uh, people are resilient and mm -hmm. you learn how to go and use you know spaces that aren't being used um in different ways and the expressions of that could be very different from hollywood where we're sitting to northridge where i've been and you know other places around greater la so I think that's important for people to know that it's not just whoever you happen to drive by when you're on some major thoroughfare or on the freeway. There are plenty of folks who are homeless in those settings, but there's also a lot that you may not notice and see in your own neighborhood. And that's the importance that CELA wants to emphasize. And I'll also just add that, you know, when we go out to do outreach even though we bring essentials like water and you know um, protein bars um, socks other things like that that is not the that's really not what we do it's a part of what we do but I, I want to say that we're not simply just dropping things off with people and again it's Similar to kind of how I think of Carborgami, it's an entry point for a conversation to get you comfortable enough that you will start wanting to engage. To literally think outside the box. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought of that. Yes. <laughs> bad jokes abound. <laughs> no, it's not but a it's bad joke. it's true, though. It's so true because that is... It's a necessity. People need Yeah, they need connection. And people need connection. And, and not I, just things. Yeah, I keep seeing that over and over and over again. Where all these folks that I am meeting or interacting with or like seeing them on Facebook, on social media. And that seems to be such a common thing. This idea of social isolation is a running thing where so many people are like, that's the hardest part about it. It's not the not having a home. It's the social isolation. It's the othering. And oftentimes it's not by NIMBYs, the not-in-my-backyard people. Uh, it's not yeah. by them. It's the it's by the folks that are well-meaning that they think that they get it, but they don't, and they fall short. And then there's this there's this other stigmatizing and, and othering and uh, things that happen. And that's what I so appreciated about the SELA training was I didn't feel that there. I didn't feel like, oh, my gosh. There's so much work to do before you all can go out and outreach. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I felt like I learned stuff, you know. And, Great. And, I mean, I'm an organizer, and usually I'm the person in the room that's, like, going to, like, listen to see. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I actually, I learned. I want to go to another one. Like, I can't wait for the next one. We will do them quarterly, I believe, yeah. if not sooner. Yeah. yeah. It was super rad. I learned a lot. So if someone wants to find out about Sila, how can they find you all? So for the time being... Uh, until we change our name to the big new brand new name yeah. uh, it's SELA NHC which stands for neighborhood homeless coalition dot com okay um, it will become a dot org soon okay. but if you go to dot com you'll for sure get the current okay. website cool. and I want to just give props to my fellow SELA organizers they've been at this for probably coming up on three years okay. not that long but when I first started getting involved it was with their effort last spring to crowdsource sites that could be used for any um, sort of size definition that you want to call it of some sort of service center or drop-in center or access center and we uh, were able to you know just from having people throw up nominations of places that were in their neighborhoods, you know, within the five to seven neighborhoods that we cover, folks suggested, you know, about 85 locations that were a mix of private and public properties that we felt 
could have some potential. The you know the leads at Sela um, are amazing uh, with putting together you know this report that then got circulated to all the elected officials on the county and the city level, and it got a lot of attention because no other neighborhood group has gone to that extent of really trying to push for services to be cited in their neighborhoods. And it's not just simply telling your you know, local council member, I want something here. We are very proactive about going out, showing people, hey, this can work here. Why don't you take a look at it and let's start that conversation. You know, what, what needs to happen at City Hall with the different city agencies or county you know departments in order to try to put something together so we're getting pretty close to that i I won't share too much yet but there's also um some some really great news that's kind of happened internally in the last week or so where i think we're going to be able to have at least one if not more uh new sites in the sila area that is going to be an ongoing service center by the summer. That's really cool. It's very exciting. Y'all are we're just advocates. organizing. Yeah, Scott. it's rad. I'm just I'm and we're volunteers. That. Oh, well, that, and that's what's amazing. <laughs> that's what's amazing about that KPCC interview is that so much of this work, like with a million drops, a million drops is volunteers. Micah's a volunteer. So much of this work that's happening, the Shower of Hope. You know, that's right here in the in the parking lot as well today, which I love the fact that we're recording this. And there's so many, so many cool social justice things around. It's not just folks who are unhoused. There's so many people who are who are on that precipice you oh, know, yeah. with gentrification and rent skyrocketing and people just not realizing how many people are so close to this space of not having a place to go. And it could balloon at any moment because it's just it's in every I mean it's in so many neighborhoods that used to I know used to be affordable or somewhat affordable and they're just not and it just keeps growing and everything just keeps growing and more and more development more and more development yeah and I I can I definitely encourage people to start you know if you haven't already just getting more involved with Mm -hmm. your neighborhood council and many of them will have like mine, I am in the Echo Park Homelessness Committee. And it's not just homelessness, but it's also housing issues. Mm-hmm. And start there. Yeah. You know? It's one thing to just simply sit and sort of feel helpless yeah. about this larger trend. But right. you can do something about mitigating the effects. Right. And also trying to understand, like, who it's impacting and yeah. helping them to you know, get services and get help. Uh, I'll just give you one example on one of the outreach Sundays that I did with Sila before the end of last year, we came across a gentleman who was at Echo Park Lake. And there's usually whenever we go to Echo Park Lake, at least I would say half a dozen, if not more different tents and, you know, camp set up. And he was very articulate, very cogent when we approached him. And, you know, he shared his story completely honestly that he literally had lived in an apartment that was an older, you know, in a smaller complex of maybe six to eight apartments just over one of the small streets that overlooked Echo Park Lake on the west side. And about a week and a half before we met him, he had been evicted because the owner of the building, you know, had decided to go ahead and just through, I think what they call is it the LS Act, or there's something about that at the LA rent control or rent stabilization ordinance, which allows landlords to take the entire apartment building off market. And I think the landlord was intending on redeveloping it and probably just putting it back out at double or more the market rate. So this gentleman also had experienced recent, I think, you know, breakup or something that fell apart with his relationship. And unfortunately, his name was not on the lease. 
So he had no rights as a renter to even try to fight back because, you know, his ex-partner was the only person whose name was uh, legally, you know, shown as being the renter. So he ended up in, you know, a tent, Echo Park Lake, um, was still working, uh, I think two different jobs. He worked partly as a security guard, he told us. And, um, that's just an example. It's very real example. And right after we saw him and gathered some information from him, you know, I reached out not just within the homelessness committee of the neighborhood council, but also to, um, Mitch O'Farrell's office and, you know, told his deputy about him. And, uh, we, have not, I think, seen him since. And I'm hoping that he was able to connect with, I think, a relative who said was going to be able to take him for some time. But yeah, just a small example, but it's such a common story. You know, there are a lot of people just on that precipice Mm -hmm. and they're employed and they're employed, but they do not make the $1,500 a month minimum that you need you know, typically to be able to afford anything in the city now. So, and that barely, I mean, $1,500 a month barely will get you. You may have to have a housemate. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's very (laughs) bizarre. It's very bizarre how much things have changed. This is the most unaffordable to live city in America. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a new um, Harvard study that came out. I will have to find it and send it to you, but uh, it came out probably a month or two ago that, you know, once again, I think this isn't the first time LA has been listed as real estate wise, the most unaffordable city in America. Wow. We're seeing the effects of that. We are seeing the effects of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's a that's a whole other podcast. Gentrification. <laughs> I'd love to do a podcast on that. I'd love to do a series on that, actually. But um, you can tag yeah. on perhaps to the series that NPR did. I think yeah. maybe two or three years ago in Highland okay. Park. Okay. Because that's a that that was an interesting study yeah. there. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. So these pop up sites. If someone was listening and they were interested. Because I'm certainly thinking of just different spaces that I'm not in leadership of any of these spaces, but just spaces where they, yeah, yeah. So you're looking just basically for like a secure parking lot or a secure empty space that these could be stored during the day, yeah. And so it would just be like a nightly, a nightly type of thing where, and then there would be like you said, a concierge or someone there to help check them out and be sure that everything was, you know. Set kind up, of like a right? regular shelter, almost. If like you were at a shelter where you were inside a church or some other building, the same kind of thing, where you'd have like a, a volunteer staff or a group of people that helped kind of monitor things throughout the night and right. make sure that everything was safe and stuff like that. So Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I will just uh, send out an appeal to uh, any property you know, owners or property managers. Um, it doesn't have to be connected with faith groups, you know, uh, for sure. Uh, If you are a, um, if you are an open and generous, uh, you know, private property owner with some space, whether or not it's for parking or it's just simply a space that's maybe awaiting some redevelopment, but you're not going to be using it for Mm -hmm. the next year. I would love to talk to you. We would love to be able to see if it fits with the fabric of, you know, the neighborhood and what your property is already kind of looking at being used for. And those are the conversations that just need to be done on a one by one basis, because not every empty piece of land is going to make sense. Mm -hmm. But we want to be able to facilitate anybody that if you're a part of a neighborhood group and you have connections or you see that there's just this lot that continues to sit empty and people may already be camping out there. Why not make it a more dignified and also potentially connected space for the folks that need it Mm -hmm. and also for the community to be able to help them? Because 
again, going back to your point about social isolation, the point is not to just drop off these cardboard gummies and say, you know, hey, church leader, good luck, do what you will with them. We want to use them as a tool for there to be those volunteer engagement opportunities so that the neighbors can see how their own neighbors have fallen Mm -hmm. into this state and it is not something that's permanent and the sooner you can help someone to stabilize to not get your stuff stolen to actually have a place where a caseworker can come find them Mm -hmm. you know repeatedly right that would help them to be able to exit from the state of homelessness yeah stability is a big thing too that that lack of stability and especially like a lot of the folks that I know their geography does change like there's a new numerous people that I know that and not necessarily because of sweeps because of flooding from the rain or just safety different things or yeah, whatever negative people spaces. that they yeah. encounter yeah yeah because that's the thing uh, too you know not everybody's always sleeping in the same space and so just kind of being conscious of that like there's definitely in the area that I sleep in there's a lot of folks I don't really see anybody at night but in the morning there's about three or four of us that I see on a regular basis I don't know their names but about a week ago I had one of them offer me a bagel from Trader Joe's and it's interesting the relationships that build among that community and I think when you do have that chance to gather with people who have a shared experience, I hate to use the word empowering because I feel like that implies that people don't have their own power already, but there's a connectedness that happens Mm -hmm. because it's somebody else who gets it and understands. Um, There's a, a laundromat church that I go to on Thursday nights in Hollywood at Santa Monica and Los Palmas. And I went this last week and it was just, it was amazing because they have the church in the laundromat. Yeah. It's oh, every cool. Thursday night. It's a nonprofit. They started some students from I think might've been North Orange County and some other places decided to intentionally come into Hollywood on Thursday nights about 13 or 14 years ago. And it's every Thursday night at 10 o'clock. I went this last week and uh, to get my laundry done and, or to do my laundry. And it was just amazing to me how many people in this space are genuinely happy to see you or genuinely happy to see me and that you build community with these people you know and it's a, a across every like racial and gender and gender expression and um economic you know um places in the world which i didn't even think about was like there's all sorts of folks that are not from the United States of America that are here experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking to people about that, that they came here because of what they had been told about this country or what they knew about this country and they get here and they're living on the street. And that perspective to me, I mean, I was born in Northern California and grew up in Southern Oregon on the coast. You know, it was kind of like a small town, like idyllic kind of thing on the ocean. I can't imagine coming from somewhere else and you're going to this place that's the richest, most amazing country in the world, everybody says, and then you get here and you're sleeping on the sidewalk. Yeah. Like that's got to be the hardest. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Yeah. It's, uh, it just must be, they are experiencing the sort of most extreme expression of our inequality. Yeah. Yeah. Stripping of them of their dignity. I read that on, um, Yale's website for Carborigami, right? I believe that. So, right? Dignity? That's on the website? Yeah. And, and I think that's really important that um, it's why person first language to me is such a big deal. You know, giving people back their personhood and letting people, advocates, NIMBYs, whoever, know that, you know, these are people. And when we interact with them, you know, whether it's in a really cool space like this, really rad cardboard shelter (laughs) this is so cool it feels like we're in a piece of art yeah it feels like we're in a piece of contemporary art i really appreciate it well i know that our founder tino would definitely appreciate that because yeah it is it is meant to be um something that is aesthetically pleasing and i think that's also just you know you don't get that from a coleman tent right you don't i mean 
nothing wrong with dome-shaped tents and they have had their day and written up in design journals too right but um yeah i i think why not have a different shape that people find mm -hmm. appealing and uh the person who's using it should feel good about being able to use it yeah and also the people who are looking at it from the outside should not feel threatened right or you know fearful and actually think of it as I don't want to say um, not an eyesore, but just something that is curious and, again, temporary. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of this, in my mind, is, you know, I came into this work um, not quite two years ago because I really do believe that there has to be different and more immediate interventions than mm -hmm. what has been tried already and this is one of those it's not the only one but it's something that i wanted to see if it could be proven out there in the the real world yeah um because it doesn't you know there's no there's no way for people to simply exist safely when they're forced to have to, you know, be in a temporary situation. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that homelessness is a long-term, it should not be a long-term um, fact right. of life. And I think too many people who don't do this work or just are not involved in their communities see the blossoming and increase of you know, um, folks um, sleeping on the streets unsheltered and feel like there's nothing that can be done. Right. And it's partly because the system, I have to say, that had been put together or put in place to serve um, this, you know, crisis has not been able to think, again, creatively out of the box right. from um, simply, you know, getting... Or trying to trying to construct physical places for people, right. and that implies to me when you're talking about building things and taking years to build things, that you think that this is going to be around for a long time. And I fundamentally do not believe that. Right. If it's going to be a temporary problem, and you want to, you know, make it as efficient to resolve um, in a humane way then you need to think about how you do that without wasting resources and putting right. money into physical buildings that are going to last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Right. I completely agree. It's part of why I wanted you on here was the innovation, right? This is a lot about kindness and togetherness and compassion and love and all of that and hope. But it's also a lot of these are about innovation and especially with folks like you, Genevieve, who are really i mean it's so it's so thinking outside of the box just you know with sila and this cardboard shelter you know just just this concept again of how we're in community with folks who are unhoused that are our neighbors you know rather than calling them the homeless it's so important yeah so very important um as we come to the end of the podcast what's next for carborigami well uh so i would love to be able to tell you that we have uh you know an upcoming pilot site we don't quite yet and okay. so going back to my appeal i want anyone who is already working in some manner whether you're providing meals or you're doing outreach or you know anything that you're already a part of in your community to reach out to us um especially if you are connected to a physical space where we may be able to take a look at trying to, you know, do a pop-up site. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the pop-up site duration is a conversation that we will have with your community. Um, it's, again, I don't believe in templates and the system believes in a lot of templates. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if your neighborhood is willing to try it for a couple of months, um, and you want to 
gather together the volunteers to work at that site, great. If it ends up that we are able to move folks, you know, into more the next step in transitional housing in less than six months, then great. We pack it up, we recycle the cardboardamis and the space returns to what it, whatever it was before. Right. There's no trace of, you know, us having made a dent in the lot. So that's that's what we're continuing to work on. You know, we are also continuing to work with the New Earth organization mm-hmm. on producing more of the shelters. Um, in the meanwhile, we do have opportunities if people want to purchase them for you know, recreational uses or just like kids love them, you can also reach out and that will support, you know, the ongoing work that we are doing because we are uh, completely volunteer run and we need funding and I'm continuing to look for that, the longer, you know, longer, longer sustainable sources. So. Absolutely. Yeah. This would, this would be rad if I was, if I was a kid, I would love to play in this. <laughs> Super rad. Yeah. And kids have also been, uh, they've shown up to when we exhibited at the disaster fair. Um, mm-hmm. There's a large, you know, kind of emergency preparedness disaster fair that these folks up in the valley host once a year in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of, you know, very interested community queries about, yeah. um, you know, how their neighborhood block association could buy these and just store them for emergencies. And I would also encourage folks to think about it in that way. You know, you can buy one to support yourself and buy one perhaps to support, you know, someone who is going to sleep in it through our pop-up site. Absolutely. You want to tell our listeners one more time what the website is? Yes. So I'll just spell it out. Yes. www.com. C A R D as in David B as in boy origami so O R I G A M as in Mary I dot org. Awesome. Thank you so much, Genevieve. You're an amazing advocate. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah. I am so glad that we met at a million drops and props to Micah for doing yes. what she does. And yeah, I look forward to hearing more podcasts come out i look forward to volunteering with sila yeah yay (laughs) sila is doing amazing things and again perhaps the follow-up to our conversation will be when we can tell the public about the exciting new service location parentheses plural s locations (laughs) in um you know the the sila northeast la area so and hopefully a pop-up site for for carbogamis. Yes. yes. <laughs> Those two things are not exclusive, so I'm trying to see if we can, you know, commingle. Oh, absolutely. I'm thinking one of these needs to go to my uh my little niece and nephews. I think they'd love this. This is rad. Anyway, thank you Genevieve. Thank you to a million drops. Thank you to Micah, to our executive producer DJ Cherish the Love. Thank you to Sure Microphones for the impeccable sound quality. We appreciate you listening to Real Good Stuff and have a great day. Peace. Thank you. This little light.